This is Floyd Hughes, pastor of Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. I just wanted to share about my new book, Act Like an E-Christian. The E stands for evangelical. And despite what you may have heard, evangelical Christianity has nothing to do with politics. It has to do with the reason the body of Christ exists, sharing the gospel. My book, a devotional based on the book of Acts, prayerfully encourages Christ followers to return to our evangelical roots of sharing the gospel with folks in our circles of influence. It's available on Amazon in paperback and for Kindle, and you can pick up a copy today. Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by sharing and showing the love of Christ and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now, here is this week's message from Pastor Floyd Hughes. I don't know how often it happens when the actual Independence Day is actually on a Sunday, uh, but those are the Sundays where... Believe it or not, a lot of people in their church have a lot of hard times preaching on those Sundays because they have this understanding that you shouldn't talk about secular holidays. And they perceive Independence Day as a secular holiday. Um, I feel that the body of Christ has no place celebrating Independence Day in the church because... They believe that there's a lot of political division, which there obviously is in our nation. And while I understand those that feel that way, I totally disagree with them, um, which, and you're welcome to disagree with me. Uh, but as we said earlier, this day is all about celebrating that our nation recognizes that our God-given rights were worth fighting for. That, that's what Independence Day was. And I know there's some people that, oh, it was about money, oh, it was about colonization, but they didn't put that in the Declaration of Independence. They put, hey, we're fighting for our God-given rights. And in the past, I've shared lots of verses, uh, lots of uh, information from the Declaration of Independence and from the Constitution. Uh, I want to share something this morning. This is a prayer that was made by the first Continental Congress, right? This is the very first time that we established a congressional body, uh, even, I think it was right before we declared our independence and went to war. And this is the prayer that our congressional leaders prayed for our nation. Now, I'm gonna read it to you, and it's obviously an old school King James type language, because that's how they spoke by, back then. But the heart of what they prayed for is still true. So they started off praying, O Lord, our heavenly Father, high and mighty King of kings and Lord of lords, who dost from thy throne, behold all the dwellers on earth, and reignest with power supreme and uncontrolled over all the kingdoms, empires, and governments. And yeah, it lost me too at the dost and the thy and all that stuff. But here's what they started off praying, acknowledging that God had supreme power, uncontrolled, over all kingdoms, empires, and governments. This is what our congressional leaders stood together to pray. And then they prayed this, look down in mercy we beseech thee on these our American states who have fled to thee, meaning to God, from the rod of the oppressor and thrown them, themselves on thy gracious protection 
desiring to be henceforth dependent, and this is key, because this is what the congressional leaders prayed, we fled England, and we wanted to be dependent only on thee. Our nation was founded with the understanding that, hey, we need God in order for us to survive and to thrive. Uh, they prayed this, to thee have they appealed for the righteousness of their cause. To thee do they now look up for the countenance and support which thou alone can give. Take them, therefore, Heavenly Father, under thy nurturing care. Give them wisdom and counsel and valor in the field. So they prayed for all the soldiers who would be fighting for our independence. And then they said a bunch of prayers specifically for the soldiers. But then this is how they ended it. Be thou present, O God of wisdom, and direct the counsels of this honorable assembly. Our congressional leaders, first time they met and prayed, prayed that God would give them counsel and wisdom, enable them to settle things on the best and surest foundation, that the scene of blood may be speedily closed, speedily closed, and that order, harmony, and peace may be effectually restored, and truth and justice, religion and piety prevail and flourish amongst the people. So they, they wanted religion as a basis for us as a nation. And then they closed the prayer with this. Preserve the health of their bodies and vigor of their minds, meaning the congressional leaders. Shower down on them and the millions they here represent, meaning us American people, such temporal blessings as thou seest expedient for them in this world and crown them with everlasting glory in the world to come. And all this we ask in the name and through the merits of Jesus Christ, thy Son and our Savior. Amen. And I know there's a lot of people that have a lot of heartache with the fact that, you know, they say we're just worshiping America. We're not worshiping America. We're thanking God that we get to be in a nation that he is blessed and that we want him to continually to bless. And this is not to, to put off those people that say that, you know, America wasn't founded as a Christian nation. Actually, that was the intent, as we just read, right? So make no mistake about it. This country was founded on the basis of fighting for the truths of God's word, the freedoms that God gave to humanity, and the freedoms that we deemed were worth fighting for, and the reason why we aren't where we should be as a nation, the reason why there's so much division in our nation, the reason why there's so much chaos in our nation, is because we as the church stopped fighting for those truths. I mean, there were people who literally sold their farms and their homes and, 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 and left everything to go fight for those truths. And then we in the church, I mean, it's not like we have to pick up arms and fight for them, but we won't even stand up for them to declare that those truths are still valid in the America that we're in today. So we're going to begin a series today, hopefully that will restore our desire to fight for those truths. And it's, it's based on, it's not based on any political perspective or cultural preference. It's just based on the truths of God's word. So if you have a Bible, open it up to the book of Jude. And it's only one chapter. It's 25 verses. It is the book that comes right before the book of Revelations. It's short. It's to the point. Uh, and whenever we start a new book, I like to give us some background information 
so that we understand why it's important to our lives? Because it doesn't make sense to read the books of the Bible if you're not going to try to apply them to their lot, your life, right? If you're not going to try to live them out. And there's so much here that we're going to try to live out. So open to the book of Jude really quick. And if you're, um, I think I already told you where it is. It's right before the book of Revelation. So if you turn to the last book. Yeah, 25 verses, sorry. 25 verses, not 25 chapters. It's like one, one, one page and a half, depending on which size Bible you're in. Yeah, thank you for that. So, um, yeah, uh, here's, here, here's the thing, though. Uh, I'm going to give you some background on it, and then when we jump into it, we're only going to cover a couple of verses this morning, and I'm going to put them all up on the screen. Uh, but stay there in Jude while I give you some background. So first of all, it's called the book of Jude, uh, but it's written by a man named Judas, who was the brother of Jesus, okay? Uh, now, I know a lot of people think that it was likely the apostle, because there were two apostles named Judas. One committed suicide, so we know it wasn't him, because he wasn't writing from the dead. Uh, and the other one, um, it could be him, and some people lean towards him, but I'm going to show you why I believe that it's likely the brother of Jesus. So, in the book of Jude, he introduces himself as Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. He doesn't introduce himself as an apostle. And in fact, um, later on in verse 17, he says, Dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. So he identifies the apostles as another group. He doesn't associate himself with them. So it's likely he was not one of them. Now, when we look at the content that he's talking about, if you want someone to like, understand and believe what you're saying, you're going to bring all the authority you have, right? So if you're like a cop and you're in plain clothes and you're at the 7-Eleven and someone comes in and tries to rob it, you have two options. You could say, hey, stop robbing the place, and they're probably not going to listen, or you could pull out your badge and your gun and through your authority say, hey, I'm a cop, stop robbing the place. And which one are they more likely to listen? Well, if they're robbing the place, neither. But you're likely to get further if you identify the authority you have. So he's not associating himself as an apostle. Uh, and we know for a fact that Jesus had um, brothers and sisters. So this is what it says in Matthew. Coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue, talking about Jesus, and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked? Isn't this the carpenter's son, because Jesus was the son of a carpenter? Isn't his mother's name Mary? Aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? And aren't all his sisters here with us? So we know Judas identified himself as the brother of James. We know Jesus had a brother named James and a brother named Judas. But we also know that neither one of these guys believed in him at the time. Uh, we're told in the book of John, John writes this, uh, when they were going up to the festival, they encouraged Jesus to go, and they said, no one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you're doing these things, show yourself to the world, for even his own brothers did not believe in him. But then later... When Jesus rose from the dead, his brothers did put their faith and their trust in him. So for all intensive purposes, 
This was written by the brother of Jesus, and we'll talk about more of that later on. Um, now, we don't know exactly when it was written, except that we know it was written soon after the book of 2 Peter. 2 Peter was written in 67 AD. Peter was one of the apostles on whom Jude based a lot of his writing. Um, and Peter, in his writing, said this. He said, there were false prophets among the people, talking about in the Old Testament, as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. So this is what Peter wrote around 67 AD. He said, hey, just so you guys know, there used to be in the Old Testament false prophets who came up and said, thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord, even though the Lord didn't say it. And Peter said, hey, this is the same thing that's going to happen in the church. There are going to be people that come in among you, and they're going to introduce destructive things that are opposed to the way of God. Peter said, these things are coming soon. Jude, in his letter, says, it's happening now. He says in verse 4, certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have slipped in among you, and they are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality, and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. So Peter said, hey, these things are coming. Jude said, this is what's happening now, that there are people in the church that are doing this. So Jude also includes a lot of the exact same verbiage from the apostles, specifically from Peter, and he used a lot of verses from the Old Testament in order to try to encourage people that, hey, you got to stand up and you have to fight for truth. Uh, just some of the verses that he includes, and we'll get to them in a minute, but uh, from 2 Peter, it says, if God didn't spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment, and Peter uses this as an argument to say, hey, there are consequences if we disobey God. There are consequences if you disobey the law. There are consequences if you disobey your parents. He says there are consequences if you disobey God. This similar verbiage uh, is what Jude uses in verse 6 of his letter. We'll get to that in a little bit. But then Peter also says this. Uh, these people are, are true of follow corrupt desire of the flesh. They despise authority. They're bold. They're arrogant. They're not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings. He says these people who don't acknowledge God's authority, they even talk bad about angels. And I know that's weird language for us because a lot of us are still, you know, not all on board with angels existing. But this same language, almost this exact same argument, is what Jude uses in verse 10. And then Peter talks about this in verse 13. He says, these men, they carouse in broad daylight. They're blots and they're blemishes and their desire is to feast on you. He says, the only reason why they're coming in to the church and spreading these lies is to, for lack of a better word, to feast on you. And that's the only reason why, I don't know if you've gotten one lately, most of us are getting calls about our extended warranty on the phone. It's not like they're trying to help you. They're just trying to scam you and get money from you. And this is the same argument that Peter talks about with the false teachers, and then Jude uses that exact same argument. And Jude's overarching theme is that we... If you're a Christian, you need to fight for truth and fight against 
false teaching and false teachers. So in short, he uses this letter, right? He uses language that may be a little weird to us, but would have been very familiar in that day. Like right now, uh, that phrase I just said, people calling, and some of you may not get it because it's not happening to you. Thank God it's not getting calls about your extended warranty. Some people are like, what does he mean? If you said that to someone 50 years ago, even though cars existed, they would have no idea what you were talking about. In the same way, Jude uses language that was familiar in that day to everyone who would have read his letter, even though to us, it's like, hmm, that doesn't quite make sense. And he uses a lot of Old Testament scripture because his whole point is, hey, I am trying to inspire you to understand that you need to fight for the truths of God's word. And you need to fight against the false teachers that are teaching things that go against the word of God. And although many people will try to twist this and say, well, this is where the church gets you know, legalistic and moralistic and we're trying to legislate morality, that's not the case. The church is just trying to say, hey, this is what the Word of God says. I want to live it out. And people are coming in and saying, hey, uh, uh, these things aren't true. These things aren't right. And they're twisting a lot of what the church is supposed to do. And a lot of division that we see in the church and a lot of reason that people call the church hypocritical and and, and homophobic and and angry and all this stuff is because God's truth hasn't what's not worth getting out there. It's these twisted versions that's what's getting out there and making people see the church in that way. So uh, again, if you're in Jude, I'm going to put the verses up here. Jude, uh, I was going to say chapter one, but verse one, he says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. And again, he identifies himself as Judas, literally Judas, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. Now, more important to him than identifying himself as a brother of Jesus was identifying himself as a servant of Jesus. That word servant literally means a bond servant or someone who desires to willingly go serve for another person. Being the brother of Jesus meant nothing to him. Being the servant of Jesus meant everything to him. And he writes this to those who have been called, loved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. And again, that terminology may not seem common to us, but it was terminology that Jesus used when he spoke of his disciples. In the book of John, chapter 17, when he was praying for his disciples, this is what Jesus says. He's praying to God, and he says, I will remain in the world no longer. This is right before his death, burial, and resurrection. But they, and he's talking about the disciples, are still in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them, and I kept them safe by the name that you gave me. And this this is what Jude is referring to. Also at the time that Jude wrote this, he's writing to people where today, someone may look at you funny for being a Christian. Today, someone may laugh at you for being a Christian. And the day he wrote this, people were being killed for being a Christian. They were being dragged from their homes, uh, lit on fire. Their friends 
would, ign- would ignore them, uh, refuse to go to their businesses, and literally, I know we don't use that word today, but shun them if they were Christian, for coming out as a Christian. And so he's writing to them, and he's saying, hey, God's going to keep you. God's going to protect you. And all of those of you who are dealing with that, this is the letter that I'm writing to you. Uh, And then he says this in verse 3. He says, dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago when we were walking through the book of Exodus. He says, hey, even though I want to write to you about salvation, because that's important, that's the only reason the church exists, is to share the gospel, to share and show the love of Christ to other people. But he says more important than that, way up here, is I need to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was entrusted to God's holy people. That word contend literally means to struggle and agonize and fight for. One, 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 one version used the word you need to wrestle for the faith. And again, this is language that doesn't seem common to us, but if someone said, hey, you need to go all John Cena on someone to protect the faith, and some of you don't know who John Cena is, but you can Google that too, but, uh, or, or you need to go uh, Hulk Hogan, that's older school. Anyone know who Hulk Hogan is? I know it's older school, but okay, there you go. Go all Hulk Hogan or Macho Man or John Cena to contend for the faith. That's what he's telling us that we need to do. We need to be willing to just do whatever it takes and wrestle and struggle and fight for the faith. And the faith that Jude was talking about is the overall Christian doctrine, the overall belief system of Christianity. And that's what the false teachers were attacking. They were coming into the church and attacking the very foundation of Christianity. He says in verse 4, For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you, They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign Lord. And again, this isn't about the church being able to tell other people, here's what you should do, here's right, and here's what's wrong. It's about the church understanding for us, here's what God says is right, and here's what God says is wrong. And there were people that were coming in and saying, oh, you know, you, that thing that you guys don't do because you said Jesus said you shouldn't, go ahead, you can do that. That thing that uh, the way that you guys talk to one another, I know you're supposed to be nice and you're supposed to be kind, you're supposed to love your neighbor, even a neighbor who doesn't look like you or think like you or whatever, you don't have to do that. And many of the teachings from the church were being twisted and he was denying Jesus Christ. There were people who were saying, and there are people today, uh, uh, that, and, and they're, they're pastors, and they're in the church, and they say, yes, but the Bible isn't the word of God. Jesus Christ didn't actually rise from the dead. And no matter what you believe, we're all going to go to heaven anyway. None of which is true. And this, this faith that they were coming against is the same faith that Paul said, hey, I I lived my life to fight for and defend this faith. Paul says in his letter to Timothy, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I have kept this faith. 
Like, I've, I've, I've gotten whipped, I've, I've gotten beaten, I've gotten thrown out of places, I've been starving, I've done all this just so I could share and defend this faith. That's how important it was to him. And that wouldn't be as significant, except he was one of the people who used to also persecute people, throw them in jail for proclaiming to believe in this faith. So Paul says after his conversion, after understanding who Jesus is, he was like, I, I went to bat and lived my life, and I'm ready to die for this faith. And the word faith, uh, because a lot of people use that as just a blanket form of whatever. Uh, and people, I hear people tell me all the time, well, our faith is we have blind faith. It's not built on anything. And that's a lie. That's not true. The word faith is a Greek word, both Jude and uh, that Paul used. It's the word pistis that literally means the assurances based on what we believe. It's not blind faith just based on nothing. It's based on a foundation that we know exists. The author of Hebrews puts it this way. He says, um, now faith is the assurance, the confirmation, the title deed of the things we hope for. It's proof of the things we don't see and the conviction of their reality. Our faith isn't built on blind stuff that we're like, well, I hope all this happened. Our faith, if it, and, and we just went through the book of Exodus and we spent a bunch of like six months going through it, but we also spent time looking at archaeological and historical evidence that supports that this is true. And I had a conversation with someone online who was like, well, there's no way any the Exodus could be true or any of that happened. And I said, here, here's some of the archaeological finds, like they literally dug this up. These are inscriptions. It's not from the Bible. It's from other nations and other people who found these historical documents, who found things that match up with what the Bible says. Take a look at these. And he said, oh, well, they're not true. It's like, here's a picture of someone. Uh, there's a doctor, I forget his name, Titus, Dr. Titus Kennedy, who literally found one of the inscriptions, right? He found a picture, it was like a black and white picture from the 50s, of one of the, the things that we presented that showed that the exodus happened. And he's like, well, this is not a good picture. So on his own money, his own dime, he went to Egypt, took better pictures and videos, had conversations with people who translated and said, yeah, this is what it says. And I was like, here, here's this information. And they were like, well, it's still not true. And there's some people that you, you can't force them to believe, which is okay. But at the same time, I just want to make it clear that our faith isn't built on blind things that we don't have any evidence for that we don't believe. And this is actually, uh, let me share this with you as we wind down. This is actually what our faith is built upon. Paul writes this, and this is, again, crystal clear. When he's writing to the church in Corinth, which was a, a, a church uh, filled with people who were coming together from multiple beliefs. And he writes to them and he says, let me remind you, since it seems to have escaped you, brethren, of the gospel, the glad tidings of salvation, which I proclaim to you, which you welcomed and accepted, and upon which your faith rests. Our entire uh, religion, our entire faith, our entire belief system 
rests on what he's about to share, which is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He says, and by which you are saved if you hold fast and keep firmly what I preach to you, unless you believed at first without effect and all for nothing. He says, for I passed on to you, first of all, what I also had received, that Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, died for our sins in accordance with what the scriptures foretold. It's one thing for people to go around and say, yeah, this guy named Jesus Christ, and he died and rose from the dead. Well, how do you know that? I don't know. Somebody told me it was true. How do they know it? I don't know. They said their parents told them it was true. It's different if you can take actual information that said, hey, this is going to happen, and then thousands of years later, it happens verbatim. And he says, so this is based on what the scriptures foretold. He says that he was buried, that he rose on the third day as the scriptures foretold, and also that he appeared to Cephas, who was Peter, then to the twelve. Then later he showed himself to more than 500 brethren at one time, the majority of whom are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Our faith isn't just based on these blind, un true statements of just people who wanted to manipulate men and women. It's actually based on archaeologically and historically supported information of men and women who did so at the risk of their lives, their businesses, their homes, and their families. Like everyone talks about how mega preachers, you know, get paid and how they have airplanes and, and I don't have an airplane, just so you know if anyone's wondering, but how they have airplanes and, and million dollar shoes and watches and all this stuff. And they think, oh yeah, they just want to make money and manipulate people. These guys had just the opposite. For proclaiming these truths, they lost their homes, they lost their families, they lost their friends, and they lost their lives. And they easily could have said, you know what? okay, I made it all up, let me, let, me, let, me, let me just back off of that. But they didn't because it was true. And their lives were transformed because of it. And because their lives were transformed because of it, they went to their graves fighting for and defending the truth. So I'm going to ask Andrew to come up, and we're going to close out with an old school uh, hymn. I'm going to ask you guys to stand. And I'm going to ask you guys to just pray this prayer with me. God, we pray first and foremost that if any of us are here and we haven't put our faith and trust in you, that we would, as Paul said, we would just trust through faith what the scriptures foretold that you died, that you were buried that you rose again from the dead, and you did so so that we might be able to spend eternity with you, be welcomed into your kingdom, and have forgiveness of our sins. But we also pray if there's any of us here that have stepped across that line of faith, Lord, that we would be willing, as led by your Holy Spirit, to contend for the faith, to be willing to stand up for the words that you have told us are true and shown us are true. To be able to root out and remove any teachings that, that, that just, as your word says, pervert the grace of our Lord and Savior. 
that we might declare your truth to the world. God, we thank you that we live in a nation where we don't have to right now fight with weapons and guns or whatever to protect our God-given rights. But unfortunately, we live in a nation where we do have to, with our words and with our will, protect your word, declare your truth. And we pray that you give us the strength and ability to do so. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.